News of PANJ Radio in beautiful Lambertville, New Jersey, and simulcast across the world via this thing they call the Internet. Welcome to the Strike Zone. I'm your home plate umpire and crew chief producer engineer, Jack Furlong. Your two-way sports talk phone number is 609-460-4673. Email is jack at panjradio.com, and Twitter is at Jack Furlong. Here's the starting lineup for today's show. As always, we'll be joined by Kurt Maxson of CBS Sports, who has his usual creep of the week. We have an interview with John Marks of Philly Football Talk uh, at the uh, bottom of the hour. We'll wrap up week nine in the NFL, put the finishing touches on the World Series and the baseball season. I've got Sportsmanship Matters. And, of course, we'll be taking your phone calls. But first, let's recap the local and national sports scene with a little segment we call The Quick Pitch. New York Giants defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 28-23 yesterday. Carson Wentz went 27 for 47 for 364 yards with two interceptions. Eli Manning went 22 for 36 for 257 yards with four touchdowns and two interceptions. The Eagles are now 4-4 while the Giants are 5-3. New York Jets lost to the Miami Dolphins 27-23. Ryan Fitzpatrick went 17 for 28 for 193 yards with a touchdown and two INTs. Ryan Tannehill went 17 for 28 for 149 yards with one TD. The Jets are now 3-6. and six. Here's the baseball. Now that the Cubs are world champions, we have moved into the hot stove baseball season. So here's what the reports are saying right now. The Colorado Rockies are looking to hire former Padres manager Bud Black as their new skipper. Press conference set for later today on Monday. Sources are now indicating that former Philly Carlos Ruiz is being traded from the Dodgers to the Seattle Mariners for former Yankee pitcher Vidal Nuno. Ioannis Cespedes has opted out of his contract with the New York Mets and is a free agent. The Cubs have declined their option on pitcher Jason Hamill, and it looks like Matt Wieters of the Baltimore Orioles will turn down a qualifying offer from the club. In hockey, the New Jersey Devils beat the Carolina Hurricanes 4-1. Michael Calamari had a hat trick in that game. The New York Rangers beat the Winnipeg Jets 5-2, and the Islanders host the Canucks tonight at 7 p.m. In basketball, the Knicks lost to the Jazz 114-109. The Jazz will be in Philadelphia as the 76ers play host to them tonight at 7 p.m. In golf, Rod Pampling has won the Shriners Hospital for Children Open, shooting 20 under par. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your quick pitch. We bring in Kurt Mackison now, as we always do, to discuss a bunch of things. Welcome, Kurt. What's happening? Hola, Jack. Wow. We have Como moved. esta? Oh. Let me just ask, where is the library? <laughs> La, Bibli- La Biblioteca. Biblioteca. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, donde? Donde? Cuando, cuando, cuando? Aye, aye, aye. I took five years of French for a girl. It didn't work out. So, anyway. Uh, that's for another show. That's for, yeah, that, that's for the strike zone after dark. <laughs> Live tonight at midnight. <laughs> Rob, if you're listening... We got a new show idea. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we start uh, putting the finishing touches on the baseball season? Um, I know this has been talked about a ton since it wrapped up last week, but uh, you know we both picked Cleveland to win, uh, and uh, I'll tell you, it looked like Joe Madden did everything in his power to lose that game. I was thinking uh, eight men out. Really? At that that point, like, how can you manage so poorly yet your team? actually comes out on top. It, it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, he, he had this notion that 
John Lester had to come in yeah. to, to save the day. Uh, Aroldis, Aroldis Chapman's arm was falling off, even though his falling off arm still throws 98. Yeah, that's um, something that we found out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, the, he's he's having uh, Javier Baez bunt on three and two with a safety squeeze on. It, it's I just I don't understand the the way that this man can be lauded. Uh, it's just I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall over this. I mean, this was Cleveland's game. To, to lose. It was and prefabricated. The, the Lester thing was prefabricated. It's an issue I have with baseball um, for the last several years, and that's taking pitchers out in advance of them even encountering the least bit of trouble. Yeah. And it's, it's a prefabricated move. I don't know. I'm not in Joe Madden's head. It's probably uh, for the best. Nor, nor do I want to be. Yeah. Um, but I, I just find it curious, like when you make that move, who are you making that move for? Uh, is it so you are you that thin skinned? You're not. You don't want to get criticized. Um, you know, I understand when Girardi does it in the binder. I think he. You know, if you ever watch a Joe Girardi press conference, I watch a lot of them. He, Sorry to hear. <laughs> he does answer the questions, and sometimes he almost answers them too thoroughly. Right. And uh, so I think in it, you know, in his interpretation of events. He does want to avoid that kind of question in the press conference. He wants to have an answer, and it's the answer sometimes contained in his binder. With Joe Madden, Joe Madden was su- you know, such a cool pick for, for the Cubs, the right man at the right time, the guy's innovative. It was a no-brainer move. Right. You know? And, it- and every, every people are gushing about him. And you know, I don't want to take anything away. The guy won the World Series. But – they almost won it in spite of him. Yes. And I, from a managerial standpoint, I have less respect for him now. Not that I don't respect him, but I have less respect for his on-field performance than I used to. Yeah, I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, the the, the Rajai Davis home run, I thought, was immense. I, 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 I could not believe it when that happened, and I thought that should have been the turning point in the game. Well, don't you love when... A baseball game has so many dramatic turning points. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the one thing, and I just want to bring this umpire question into the equation That's here. why we're here. Go ahead. Here. The, you know the, the play with Javier Baez where he barehanded the, the double play right. throw? Yep. And originally he was called out. Right. Where do you find a transfer on that? Even, even, if, he, even if he so happened to catch the ball and in his throwing motion – is still going to first and loses control of that ball. Where do you have a transfer? It, it's, it's, it was really an unfortunate thing because, you know, that was Hirschbeck's last game. But, you, you but, know, but do you understand what I'm saying? I know like, exactly what I, you're I, saying. Under any circumstances, I could not have ruled him out. Yeah. I don't think. I think that if, you, if, if he catches that using his glove. No, no, no. Catches it bare hand. No, I'm sa- I understand that. Yeah. I'm, saying if, I'm saying that if he had. Right. Then I understand a little bit, and then you go back to the replay and you show, oh, obviously the, the, he, he, never, he, he never caught it. He never caught I think it. it. I mean, it was a blatant miss by Hirschbeck that, you know, to, to call that on the transfer. But, but, but you're, you're agreeing with me, like in a barehanded situation, if, you, if he did actually catch that ball, right. which he did not, right. but if he actually catches that ball and it slips out of his hand throwing to first, I still don't have an out. I don't have a transfer. I, I can't argue with you there. I can't argue with you there. You have to show complete control. And I mean... And, and release has to be... Voluntary. Voluntary. Right? That, that whole thing. 
Uh, I mean, that's just, it, it just Intentional goes. Intentional and voluntary. Right. I mean, it just goes back to the fact that Javier Baez has a lot to learn. I mean, that in itself. And the other error he made was, was pathetic. I mean, the, the, that is, in, in, a, in a nutshell, the, the problems with Baez that he has. Now, that's not to say that he can't improve. That's not to say he can't grow up. But this entire postseason has been chock full of Javier Baez's mistakes. Now, how can they put Baez in the same sentence with, with Lindor? Like they try to do because 18 million scouts were at their game in high school. For, for two reasons. One, they were grouped together, you know, just by, just by their age and where they were. So that automatically means path of least resistance, which is obviously, you know, a, a fatal flaw in that. Uh, and secondly, you know, the, the stuff that Baez does do well, you know, his power and things like that, you know, the stuff that you don't normally see from a second baseman, I think is enough for people to unfortunately put their jaws on the floor and say, wow, this guy's pretty good. And by association and maybe by osmosis being linked to Lindor, you know, someone who doesn't have the critical eye and the ability to step back and say, uh, wait a second, this guy actually has some, some flaws here. Which he, I guess is everybody on ESPN. Oh, absolutely. Because- no, I mean, if, you, I mean, if you're talking about ESPN, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the same station that employs uh, Aaron Boone and Jessica Mendoza. So uh, it's, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, it's it's completely wrong and and uneducated to to say that Javier Baez is in the same sentence as Francisco Lindor. See, the only guys I put in that sentence are Fran- Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. I put uh, Brandon Crawford. Okay, in that I'll buy that. that and and uh, and Seager. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, you're not getting an argument out of me there. You know, and and I you can make a, a case for other guys, but um, you can even make a case for for uh, Xander Bogarts. You can make a case for D.D. Gregorius, mm-hmm. but I think they're just a notch below. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. They're good players, but a, a notch below. You're not you're not getting an argument out of me there. I'll tell you that much. Um, I just I, you know, I keep going back to the NLDS where Baez. Uh, hits the home run, and he's styling at the plate watching it, and it barely gets out into the basket. <laughs> and then the next night, he does the same I thing, know. only to have it fall short for a double. He slides in. He's called safe upon review. He's called out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I you mean, know? The, those two guys, I think, distinguish themselves in the wrong way. And those two guys are, are Joe Madden and, uh, and Baez. Yeah. I would agree. themselves in the wrong way. I, I, I do, before we move on to anything, I do have to commend um, the Indians for how they handled defeat, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think baseball's back. This had 40 million viewers, yeah. Game 7, yep. and it deserved uh, that many and probably more because it was such a, a riveting Game 7. Um, it wasn't the cleanest ball game, but I got to tell you, you know, after 162 games, you, you know, a couple uh, series, then the World Series, you, you know, you have to expect that, that and, and all the nerves of a game set, oh, you, you have to expect, you, you know, a couple glitches. In people that are going to be tired. People are going to be on edge. You know, yeah, it was not the cleanest game. There have been probably better game sevens in, you know, by comparison, but you got your money's worth. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it was exciting. You were on the edge of your seat watching this thing, even if at the end of it, you're left scratching your head going, the Cubs won? Yeah, because Joe Madden just lost that game, but they still won. And Terry Francona and company gave them all the credit in the world. Yeah, where if this was the NFL, and we've seen it in the NFL now, Cam Newton got crushed last year, and he was still crying about, you know, how they got treated. Oh in, yeah, in yeah. the Super Bowl. Now this guy comes through in a, a crushing Game Seven loss, and Lindor 
answered all the questions. Absolutely. And and maybe NFL people, you ought to take a, a page out of the MLB book and show that a lot of us would like to watch games and not watch people cry over fishing mm-hmm. and not watch games where people are kneeling for the national anthem and not watch games where after the fact people are ridiculing, making fun of, and otherwise uh, undermining the competition that they just faced. Absolutely. Uh, Lindor, uh, Andrew Miller did a great job in Absolutely. the post game. Like you said, Tito did a great job. Um, you know, it's, we'll get to this more in sportsmanship matters in the, in the latter half of the program, but, uh, you know, not only did, did the Cleveland team do a good job, uh, originally I thought that this was something that major league baseball did. And I don't think actually that that is the case is that after the game was over during all the celebration, uh, up on the big boards and, you know, the video screens throughout the, the stadium, uh, Cleveland put up congratulations to the world champion Cubs and, you know, the logos and the whole thing. And, you know, the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, that must have been something from Major League Baseball saying, you know, no matter where it is, you put this up during the postgame celebrations and whatnot. And, you know, all reports indicate right now that that was not the case, that the Cleveland Indians uh, staff did that themselves. So, I mean, kudos to them. I'll explain a couple of negative things later as to as to some Cleveland problems. But uh, one other thing, in addition to the the humanity of finally Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman showing, because we thought that they were superhuman right. and you know just everything finally caught up to them uh, the, the only other thing that I wanted to point out we talked about it briefly before is the accuracy of the umpires in the strike zone I have the statistics here uh, I mentioned before that uh, no umpire scored less than a 90% in accuracy throughout the entire playoffs and here are your World Series numbers in game one Larry Vanover had the plate his accuracy 97.2% Game two, Chris Guccione, 94.7%. Game three, John Hirschbeck, who's the crew chief and has retired, 92.7%. Game four, Marvin Hudson, 90.6%. Game five, Tony Randazzo, 93.5%. Game six, Cowboy Joe West, 94%. Game seven, uh, everyone's man. (laughs) Game seven, Sam Holbrook, 92.9%. Series total, 93.8% accuracy. And if I have this correct, let me just see here. Hirschbeck had the worst numbers, though. Uh, no, Hudson did. Hudson, Hudson at ninety. And you know what? That and that makes sense because that was the game that there was. If there was any controversy in the series, it was probably that was one, that right? And if if memory serves me correctly, Vanover, uh, Guccione, Hudson, Randazzo, and I think Holbrook were all working their first fall classic. Uh, Hirschbeck and West obviously have been veterans who have worked many, but I believe they that MLB tried to get. Five first timers here, I believe. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's that's the case. So, good so job to year, them. Next year, Vic Carpazzi. If Vic Carpazzi gets the World <laughs> Series next year, I, I I don't even know if I'm going to be doing this program because I'll probably be in an insane asylum. I, I'm I'm calling it now. I am like just like everyone was calling the 2015 World Series champion Cubs. And that one kid wrote in his yearbook, the 2016 World Champion Cubs. I'm calling it now. If Carapaz is on the World Series crew next year, uh, my, my HMO will be paying for my admission to... We'll do the show from... From the asylum? From the asylum. Okay. I'll make sure I'm in a straitjacket. Okay. Okay. Rob will probably have to come produce that because I won't have the arms to push that's, the buttons. That's right. So. Either that or we can get David S. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. <laughs> He's pushing buttons going, any questions? <laughs> 
that joke will never die. Will. No, no. Because we're not going to let it die. No, no. I That's will right. drive that into the ground. And I, I demand people call in at 609-460-4673 and tell me to let it go because I'll just hang up on you. <laughs> I'm sitting right here. I'll hit the button. <laughs> well, you'll go, any questions? Any questions? Click. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I just think moving forward, though, right. baseball has taken a, a big step forward. Here. I would agree, especially because of the decline in NFL. In too. the decline of the NFL. And I also have to think that Rob Manfred is you know, making it more or less a seamless transition into, into the role here. Agreed. Um, whereas, you know, we see a lot of people talk about Adam Silver a lot as being the best commissioner. I'm not on board with that, um, particularly because I think there's other issues that the NBA has, particularly in the, in the area of trash talking and, and player um, conduct. That he Not to keep, mention uh, uh, interacting with fans too. Well, that's that, part, that would probably be under under that category, that's what I'm right? Saying, yeah. Player conduct, yeah. um, you know, interacting with fans, each other, referees. That I think he needs to get a better handle on before we knight him, Agreed. sir. Sir Adam Silver. Right. Uh, I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree. Rob Manfred is probably rolling in it right now. Just you know, he's been handed these these this golden goose basically uh, with with the Cubs winning. Uh, the the addition of the second wild card, um, you know, just just everything has been coming up roses for him. Yeah, you know, I, I I mean, can you think of something that 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 has happened under his reign that has caused that much controversy? It also helps to have that next level of superstars, and no matter where you go, almost every team has one. Has something coming through has, the pipeline? Has, yeah, has someone whether it's uh, you know Carlos Correa in in Houston in Houston. Um, you know the Seeger brothers. You know one in Seattle and one. Yeah, it's a shame that Kyle did not get the recognition he deserved until really his brother Corey got on the scene right. because Kyle is the real deal too. Right, that's what I'm saying. The yeah. Seeger brothers, one in Seattle, one in Los Angeles. Yep. You know, almost you know, and outside it's it's almost after the Mike Trout's and Bryce Harper's who aren't that old to begin with. Right. We see this next level of superstars, maybe two or three years younger than. Uh, you know, than than Harper and Trout, and I think it it bodes well for baseball that these guys are players that that will move the game forward, and they're also respectful. Yeah, you know, they they're appreciative of the history of the game. Right. I, I mean, think in baseball more so than any other sport, the only one that comes close is hockey, um, but football. You know, some of these guys, if you interview them you'll see they know little about the history of the game. Right. You know, some of them do noteworthy things. I don't want to paint them all too broadly with, with the brush, but I don't think a lot of them know of the Walter Paytons and Jim Browns. Agreed, agreed. Uh, even Eric Dickerson's, uh, you know, that paved the way for them to make the kind of money that they make nowadays. I think Bryce Harper is probably the, the closest to an exception based on his hot-headedness. Yeah, I mean, you that, know? that to me is the one thing... And at this point, he's, what, 24 years old? Something like that, yeah. uh, That really needs to be uh, concerning to the Nationals is that he hasn't tamped that kind of hot-headedness down. You know, he can get angry at a a strike one call, you know, and that just can't happen. Like, you're too good. You can't take yourself out of— You know who's the same way is uh, Miguel Cabrera. 
Yeah. You know, how many times has he, I can, I can distinctly remember a game where I think Chad Fairchild was umpiring behind the plate. He did not agree with a, with a first pitch strike. He was basically cursing him under his breath in Spanish. And, and he heard it and, and knew what it was and, and ran him. And, I mean, that kind of stuff just cannot happen. I mean, look at Mike Trout, of all people, okay? If, if he disagrees with a call, he's never going to show an umpire up. He might disagree politely. He might ask politely. But, you, I mean, has, has Trout been, been tossed? Uh, I, I cannot I, think. I cannot recall a time where Trout was, was tossed from I mean, I, I always go back to the following argument. For, for a ball strike call. I okay. think there was one time where he got involved in some extracurricular. Like an altercation yeah. of some sort? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I always go back to this example, okay? Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera have a combined career ejection total of zero. Right. Okay? David Ortiz has a career ejection total of 13. Right. So there's a reason why Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera are lauded across baseball and David Ortiz, steroids aside, is not. So, okay, so we're now to the fun fact part of the show. Okay. And uh, I only know this because I was there, but Derek Jeter had a grand total of one grand slam in his career? Yes. All right. Do okay. You know who came against? What team? I want, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go and say the Red Sox, even though my gut's telling me the Angels. Chicago Cubs. Really? Yes. Interleague. Wow. Wow. Well, just goes to show you that it's all connected. It's all, it all goes full circle. <laughs> the circle of the life. The circle is now complete. The circle of life. Yep. Um, well, somebody write a whole article about that. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, that's, you know, because there's not enough to write about. No, I mean, writers have nothing better to do. I have one last humorous part okay. of the World Series. And I'm watching the pregame, and I try not to watch pregame, but it's game seven. So I'm you, watch yeah, a little, you're doing your research. It's right, fair. I, I want to watch a little pregame here. So we got ESPN on, and, you know, they go to, you know, Wrigley Field. Right. And there's, you know, eight bazillion people around Wrigley Field that day, you know, even though the game's in... In, in Cleveland, in right? Cleveland, yeah. right? So, of course, the ESPN says, well, that's so different because when we were, um, when we were in Chicago, um, basically, you know, n- nobody... There were, there were no... Um, I'm sorry. When, when the reporter was was around Wrigley Field. Right. Okay. The person says, and I'm not finding a whole lot of Cleveland Indian fans here. <laughs> so they're going to drive to Chicago to, to stand, stand outside, outside Wrigley. Wrigley Field. Yeah. I'm trying to figure that one out. Uh, not to mention that uh, I believe that uh, Cleveland actually opened its stadium for games three, four, and five, and let the fans they did. They did. in to watch there. Right. Whereas, but I'm saying, yeah. oh, oh, Wrigley Field wasn't open. Wrigley but, Field but was do they have open. the facilities to allow that? The, I know they were doing that big renovation for them that the bleachers were closed. I mean, they, I mean, they seem to have everything open throughout the majority of this season. No, but I'm saying, do they have that kind of scoreboard? Where, where well, yeah, well, they just put that new one up. Yeah. You know, I mean that 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 brand new scoreboard is there for people to 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 enjoy. So I thought Roy Hobbs destroyed it in with his home run. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if he destroyed a lot of things. So, 
we got a, we only got a couple minutes left in this segment. Why don't we do? Why don't we skip ahead to your creep of the week right now before we uh, have to break? And sometimes this stuff just falls to you, the creep of the week. Oh well, we're creepy it's, people, you know, so it's it's. it's an indictment of society today that that this stuff is easy to find. Oh well, you know it's also an indictment because you and I are both creeps. So I mean, it just, I guess it's easier for us to find. It just comes to our inbox. Go ahead, buddy. Well, but anyway, so any of any person who watched uh, the highlights probably saw this yesterday. But my creep of the week is Travis Kelsey, tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And yesterday they were playing the Jacksonville Jaguars at home, and there was kind of a garden variety. Um, pass over the middle in the end zone to Kelsey. Right. And from what I saw with the replays, it perhaps could have been called pass interference, but by no means was it a slam dunk call from what I saw. Um, there was some contact, but you know what? In that situation, because of the plethora of flags we have nowadays, I probably wouldn't have thrown a flag. The timing was just there. He might have gotten the, the defender might have gotten there a hair too early. Right, right. Well, Kelsey gets up complaining to the back judge um, that this was pass interference. He's going through the three theatrics, showing how he's tugged and this and that. And, of course, the way that Kelsey was doing it didn't compare to actually what happened on the field. Right. You know, it was much more dramatic, um, which is something annoying about football players today uh, is all the drama. But They should be in uh, theater. They Some of them should be. So – as it as it goes, he gets um, now an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So what does Kelsey do? Instead of you know saying, "Hey, in the heat of the moment here, I'm losing my cool. Let me get off the field. Let me you know," he takes his flag or takes his towel and throws it at the towards the official who threw the flag, right? Who threw the flag, yeah. and he's going to flag the official. You know, of course, all the idiot writers in the world are like, yeah, he's just doing something that all of us would want to do. <laughs> this is a good impression, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> You're known for your impressions on the show. <laughs> Wait till I do Daffy Duck. Oh, God. So, uh, long story short, uh, Kelsey then receives a second unsportsmanlike conduct. And guess what? He's given the heave-ho right. for the afternoon. Now, to his credit... Uh, after the game, he said, you know what? Once I did that, I realized I was wrong. I felt like an idiot, which no true words have ever been spoken. You Fair should enough. have felt like an idiot. Right. Um, I give credit to Andy Reid. Andy Reid addressed it uh, after the game, said we lost our cool. We don't need to do that. Um, and you see Reid talking to Kelsey after the play, like some probably something to the effect of, Hey, dude, you know, we can't afford to lose you. This is a game we need to win. you got to look out for the team here. Um, but it's once again an example of the NFL players crossing the line, and now you can always understand why when it's called the no-fun league, it's for reasons like this. Like, if you give these guys a little bit of leeway, they take it to the extreme. Right. And that's why it's the no-fun league. It's it's they bring it on themselves. They do bring it on themselves. Yeah, they they absolutely do, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, I think that uh, you know when you, when when these people are complaining about being the no fun league, the the first thing they need to do is look in the mirror and say, "Is is this us who's doing this?" And the answer should be yes every single time. Well, it won't be though. No, because the, these players are narcissistic, overpaid people who don't deserve anything and just happen to be you know have, have the success thrown in their lap. Because they can catch a football like Odell Beckham Jr. And it's, it is one of, one of the many uh, great injustices and mysteries of, of our American society. But, you know, having said that, 
you know, this is why you're losing market share. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Roger Goodell doesn't have to, he's got a law degree. I mean, I suppose there's some, some intellect there, but you don't have to Not be necessarily a, if it's a law degree, but continue. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just saying that, that all they have to do, the league, and I say this almost every week, is dying of a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. And they don't do much to remedy the situation. I agree. I agree. And uh, karma, karma always comes back. It you always know, and, does. And we'll see what happens the second half as far as the viewer ratings go. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, we have, uh, we've hit halftime on the show, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back after this on The Strike Zone. This is Judith Marshan with PANJ Radio. I'd like to uh, invite you to listen to my new show, Musical Notes, where I will be interviewing different musicians um, at 8 p.m. every night. Um, Tuesday nights I will have a new musician, and then it will air the rest of the week. We'll be finding out what these musicians are all about and listening to some of their music. So tune in. It's going to be a great show on PANJRadio.com. Hey, I'm Deirdre Anderson with Delish Catering. And I'm Laura Mangone from Chambers Walk Cafe and Catering. And we'd like you to join us on Food for Thought Where. What do we talk about, Laura? We talk about restaurants, we talk about pet recipes, peeves, pet food. peeves, bitchy hostesses. <laughs> All sorts of food-related items. All sorts of Tune food in. stuff, and sometimes not so much food stuff. We go off on segues, but we have a lot of fun, don't we? Absolutely. So join us on Food for Thought. PANJRadio.com, 1 o'clock weekdays. It's Laura Mangone from Food for Thought. Would you like us to talk about your recipes on the air? Send them to laura at chamberswalk.com and we can talk about them, give you our points of view, maybe even share some improvements. Join us, Food for Thought. business only gets one chance to make a first impression. That's why Green Birdie Productions offers free re-edits on every high-definition video we create. Our Emmy Award-winning staff and green screen special effects studio guarantee the quality we strive for. It's no wonder most of our business comes from referrals. Green Birdie Productions. Compelling video. Competitive price. Welcome back to the Strike Zone, everybody. Jack Furlong with you, talking to Kurt Maxson of CBS Sports, and of course taking your phone calls at 609-460-4673. And I believe that we will be joined now by John Marks of phillyfootballtalk.com on the phone. John, are you there? You believe correct. What's up, guys? John, how are you? It's Jack Furlong and Kurt Maxson on the Strike Zone. Thank you so much for giving us a couple of minutes of your time today. 
my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Kurt, why don't you take it away? All right, John. So what do you think? Uh, what were your impressions of the game yesterday? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, it's year one for the Eagles. This is from an Eagles perspective. It's year one for the Eagles. And at the beginning of the year, if you would have said, like, hey, you'll be 4-4 four and four after eight games, I think a lot of Eagles fans would have said, all right, well, that's a, that's a pretty good start considering you have a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. But then expectations change when you go 3-0. and And Eagles have four losses. Three of those losses have been close and were decided pretty much late in the fourth quarter. So it's disappointing. And yesterday was just another one of those disappointments where you feel like you could have had the win, you were right there for the win, and you didn't get it. And, uh, you know, you've got to give the Giants credit. They keep, they keep finding, figuring out ways to win games, guys. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, the other thing, too, is of the rookie head coaches – and this is this is my impression from the, from the opposite sideline is that McAdoo actually outcoached Peterson in this one. Um, I didn't agree with the fourth downs. I think with the uh, trying to go to convert those fourth downs too many times. I think with a rookie quarterback, um, you have to take points when you can get them. And I think he he dropped the ball on that early on. It, the game becomes different later in the second half. But I think not taking those ports early on was a big mistake. Um, John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it cost them. And I think that you made a really good point. With a rookie quarterback, with an offense that has been struggling, take the points. And I agree with you. I would have went for the field goal on both times. But I guess I can see where, because he had been perfect on the season, five for five, going for it on fourth down. So, of course, Doug's thinking, I'm this gunslinger. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do it again. Well, the, you know, the averages are going to are going to average themselves out, and that's what ended up happening. The bigger thing was the play call for me. I mean, you're going to go for it. You're going to go for it. Fine. The play call was terrible. One was a Wentz, a zone read, which was really no zone or a read, and the, the Giants didn't buy it. And then the other one was a sweep to Darren Sproles, and the Giants didn't buy that either. So it had more, maybe more of a more of a, a play call that that had a better chance of working. Maybe it works. I take the points, and it ends up costing them in the end. I mean, guys, who knows how you, you coach the game differently if the, if the Eagles get six points on those two field goals. So maybe it doesn't end up mattering. Who knows? But I certainly would have taken those points. You know, you it's, know, a, it's a no-brainer. The other thing, too, is that this is also Peterson's first foray into the Eagles-Giants rivalry. And I think if history teaches us anything – you know, well, as a coach, as yeah, as a coach, uh, as you know, if, if any, if it teaches us anything, when you when you know, th- these games are never over, and you've got to be coaching it a certain way because crazy stuff is going to happen one way or the other. You know, especially especially in the Giants' home stadium. Yeah, take the point. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a great point, and you're right. And if nothing else, you take the points. Like I, I get it as a fan. Like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, man, like, you want them to go for it. But the, the wise football decision is to take the points. I, Bill Parcells, even though he was never an Eagles coach, I always love Bill Parcells. And I, I look at what would a coach like that do in that particular situation. You take the points. Sometimes it's a feel for the game. Sometimes you have a feel for the game, and you have momentum going. And Doug Peterson said he really liked the way the, that, that the, the offense was running, running the football and, and how they were going. That's fine. But he didn't have a very good feel for the game at all yesterday, and I felt like that just going along and following along the game, it, it felt like they should have went for the points and taken the three. Do you think, uh, John, that that was an overreaction to the previous week where he was so conservative against the Cowboys? 
Um, partly. Yes, I do. Uh, it, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it, there has to be a balance somewhere in between. And it's okay to take the points, but the week before, he was, it was, he was ridiculous. He ended up costing the team. Against the Cowboys, I can look at Doug Peterson and I can point the finger and I can say, Doug, more than anything, you cost people this game. I can't say the same thing for the Giants game, even though he, he didn't get those field goals. They had a lot of opportunities in, in both instances. Doug's got to figure it out, and, and it's tough because you guys have Ben McAdoo with the Giants, and he's a rookie head coach, and I agree. He, he was the better coach yesterday. Doug started off this season 3-0, and just like Carson Wentz, and his play design was great. His game plans were great. He looked like a coach that really was like, wow, this guy flew under the radar. Last couple weeks, not so much. He's, he's finding his way right now in this league, and uh, he better find himself fast because in the NFL, you don't get a lot of time to figure it out. You know the other thing too. You know, because you mentioned this, and and I'll I'll spin it to the to the Giants side. You know, I think I thought the Giants there were two problems that they exhibited, even though they won. And the one was that they could not put the Eagles away. They had multiple opportunities to seal that game, and and they couldn't do it. They 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 just you know they fumbled or not. Oh, figuratively fumbled it every single time, you know, and, and that kind of led to the game being so close as it was. I mean, so, so your point about the Eagles, you know, it wasn't just Peterson. It was, you know, there was more than that. I mean, I think, I think that's a very valid point as well. It drops. Um, it, you, you can look at their roster. Their wide receivers just aren't good enough. I, it just kind of like the week before where the Eagles, the Eagles had a couple different chances to put, to put the Cowboys away. They were up 10 points. Less than uh, less than 11 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and they had a fumble. Uh, they they brought Doug Peterson brought in Wendell Smallwood, who looks like a pretty promising rookie. First carry of the game, he fumbles, uh, and and Dallas picks it up, changing momentum, everything. Eagles had a couple different chances to put the Cowboys away. They didn't. It bit them in the butt. The same thing with the Giants. I mean, they really did leave the door open. That game shouldn't have even been close based on what was happening. I mean, the Eagles were outplayed, and the turnovers and everything else, and that's one of those games that you want to sneak away with and you want to win. Like we said, seen so many times at, at Giant Stadium and now MetLife Stadium where the, the Brian Westbrook punt return. Eagles were outplayed the whole game, but the Giants just couldn't capitalize on anything, and, uh, and you'll leave it up to, to fade and Westbrook on a punt, and they win it. So I thought yesterday maybe that was going to happen again, but – wasn't in the cards. Yeah, I think you guys uh, default to that a little bit because once in a, you know once in a while a team that deserves to win is going to win. Um, yeah. You know the contest. The one thing that strikes me, and I've mentioned, were the two things, uh, and I've mentioned it on the show, both things on the show uh, over the last several weeks. One is the what's up with this read option thing? The, I mean, to me, it needs to go in mothballs. One because it doesn't work, and two <laughs> because it it has the uh, ability to get your franchise quarterback hurt. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's um, it's fun in college, and you see that in college with some of these some of these players, and it works. It works great in college. When you get to the NFL, and it 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 will always be like this. If you have a, a quarterback that can stand back in the pocket, like it, like an Eli Manning, like a Peyton Manning, like a Tom Brady, like those guys, if they can sit back and stand in the pocket and get protection and deliver football, that's never going to go out of style. That's always going to work. There's going to be a player that comes, that can run, that can throw, that can do it all, and maybe they can use some of this read option. But I, I know one thing for sure. I want my back to be healthy and to be upright. And if he can run a little bit, like you see Aaron Rodgers run, where he has an opportunity and the defense is playing man, 
and he has a big chunk of 20 yards he can run and get out of bounds, that's great. I don't want my quarterback athletic enough to where he's taking a shot because he thinks he can run. And the zone read, I don't know what they were doing with Carson Wentz yesterday. They have not shown that uh, really more than a few times. They haven't shown it in, in a couple weeks. So I thought Doug uh, thought that would be a good part of the game plan. The problem is they just didn't execute. They didn't execute the screen game. They didn't execute the zone read. They, they, the, the lack of execution with the rookie quarterback and w- with the rookie coach is very evident right now. Yeah. I think also, though, that, that Spagnola was ready for all of it. I, I think he has to get some props for especially the, the read option. They seem to be ready yep. for that as, as well. And they weren't going to let Sproles, um, you know, kill them like, like he can. You know, because, you know, how many times I've watched, uh, you know, guys like uh, Brian Mitchell and Brian Westbrook, you know, run around in those uh, short and intermediate routes. He wasn't going to let Sproles, um, you know, hurt them this time around. Spags had a good day, without a doubt. See, if you get back to Sproles, and it's a great point, if you you go to phillyfootballtalk.com right now, there's actually a piece that's up, and part of the piece has to do with Darren Sproles. He's their best running back on the team, right? He is definitely their best running back. He's their best receiving running back. He's probably their best running running back. The problem with Sproles is if you use him too much, like the Eagles have been, not 20, 25 carries a game, but if you're rushing him 15 times a game, you're taking away the change of pace that he offers when he comes in, when he only has six or seven carries, and when he's out of the backfield. You're taking that away because he does have big playability. So I think when you have him in there too much, the defense almost is – not expecting them, but they're like, okay, Sproles is out there. We know what he does. When you bring him in as a change of pace, I think he's more effective. Right. And that's, the pro- that's one of the main problems right now that Doug Peterson's having. You need to have an every down back, whether it's Ryan Matthews, whether it's Wendell Smallwood, whether it's whoever. If you want to have a rotation, that's fine. Darren Sproles can't be your top running back. He just can't. He's too valuable as a change of pace and your second running back. So that's, that's one of the first things I'd, I would take away. But give – Give um give Spags a lot of credit. He when he blitzed, he normally got he got Wentz got Wentz really uncomfortable early, and it lasted for most of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing that struck me was, <clears throat> and I, on the show I said of all the defenses in the NFC East, I thought Philadelphia had the chance to be the best one. But I'm going to modify that a little bit because the secondary play of the Eagles was was not good. Um, yeah. Is that anomaly, or you think that's a concern moving forward? Well, they they need to, um, and 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 I had, had wrote this to to Kurt in his blog that like the, the the Eagles secondary competes. They have two good safeties. The problems are their corners. They have guys that compete. They're not they're not soft. They're not guys that don't accept the challenge. They're not guys that are scared. They just don't have enough talent. Nolan Carroll's the one guy that actually has some talent. They have a rookie Jalen Mills that is going to be pretty good, but. They don't have bodies that can, can match up with the Giants receivers. And when you don't get a pass rush, and the Giants did a great job of protecting their offensive line yesterday, getting the ball out, protecting Eli Manning pretty well. When the Eagles don't get to the quarterback, that's when you see the Eagles secondary exposed, and that's where you see it. So when they're getting to the quarterback five times a game, it doesn't look like they have a bad secondary. When they don't, that's when you see, and that's what you saw yesterday. Yeah, talking to John Marks of phillyfootballtalk.com. John, I want to ask you about, about Wentz specifically. You know, you saw in the first two drives uh, a little deja vu with uh, both drives ending up in uh, INTs and uh, resulting in, in Giants touchdowns. Uh, there was a part of me that said, oh, I must be watching the uh, Vikings game from a couple of weeks ago. 
what what was happening with Wentz that that caused that that phenomenon to to occur that early in the game? First first three games of the year, and this is why it's kind of a surprise right now. He looked like a veteran. He looked like a player that he, he had the highest completion percentage against the blitz. Anytime he saw any pressure, it was kind of like things were moving in slow motion with him. He'd say, "Okay, I have someone coming right here. That means I should have." Boom, first, uh, first receiver not open, let me go to the second receiver, let me bite it and throw it away. He was able to take information and manipulate that information and really knew the offense, and it worked out very well for him. Against Minnesota, against Dallas last week, and like you said in the first, first quarter against the Giants, when he's getting pressured now, he's getting happy feet, and he's getting uneasy. And, and instead of saying, like, okay, I'm getting pressure, let me take the sack, let me look here, let me look there, let me try to throw the ball away, He's just freaking out. And when he freaks out, he's throwing the ball, and it's going high, and that's turning it into an interception. You saw that both of those interceptions in the first quarter. So I think this is it's one of these things, guys, where like he comes out and he's so good right away. He's never, he's never going to do that for an entire career. No quarterback is just comes out and is great and never struggles. You're going to have some struggles. Defensive coordinators in this league solve offenses. Now it's up for Wentz and the Eagles offense and Doug Peterson to adjust to what the league's doing to them. They're pressuring, and they're pressuring up the middle, and, and Wentz is kind of freaking out, and he's just throwing the ball. And he's, and he's not accurate where he's throwing it. Most defensive coordinators adjust, unless you're Cleveland, and then you'll just be god-awful for the rest of, of time. But that, that comes with just working in Cleveland. You know, that, that has nothing to do with the Browns. That's a, that is a, a statute in, in the city of Cleveland. Yeah. Look at Belichick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh... So, last question, John, just moving forward. What do, you, what do you see on the horizon for the Eagles? Uh, they got a tough schedule coming up, guys. Uh, Atlanta this week, and that's – God, their offense is so good. And it's a terrible matchup. Like you mentioned, the Eagles secondary look bad. How do you think they're going to look against Matt Ryan, who looks like the best quarterback in the business right now, Julio Jones, two great running backs, some other good uh, tight ends and wide receivers. And then they have Seattle, and then they have Green Bay, and then they have Cincinnati, who I know is not good, and then they have – Dallas and Washington and and the Giants again. So the season's really almost over. I know it's only halfway over, but they have a really tough stretch right now. And at this point, it's really tough to see them competing or or making a wild card spot. Dallas is winning the division. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Giants are looking pretty good. Washington's even looking pretty good. But at this point, it's less about the record, and it's more about, okay, let's evaluate. What do we have on this team? What do we have on offense? What do we know can't work? Like, their wide receivers are terrible. Jordan Matthews is really the only guy, and, and, and Treg played in his first game yesterday. He looks like he's got some speed. He's got some potential. But identify what you have. Identify what you can use going forward. Identify what you obviously can't use. And Because this is really year one of a rebuild. The Giants just spent a lot of money in free agency because Eli Manning has a couple years left. And you have Odell Beckham Jr., so they said, hey, let's build this defense through free agency. And and they had a good couple draft picks as well. The Eagles are a little bit different. They have a young quarterback, and they have a team that doesn't have a lot of talent on it. So I would say just for the rest of this season, just figure out what you are, figure out who's going to be with you going forward, try to win some games. And, and really, for me, with Carson Wentz, he needs to turn it around, and he needs to start figuring some stuff out because you don't want him to continue to regress. And he's, he's went backwards the last couple of weeks. So we'll see. I, I do like him. I think that he's got every intangible that you want out of a quarterback. And the NFL is not easy to play, especially as a rookie. But uh, I think he's going to be all right. Last one for me, John. Gun to your head right now. Eagles making it as a wild card? 
No. No? Okay. <laughs> well, that's the easy answer right there. John, thank you well, so much. For, and, rem- and remember, this, they, had, they had an easy schedule to start the season. They have a brutal schedule come down the street. That's very true. It's very true. The schedule speaks volumes right there. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the Strike Zone. Really appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes. Best of luck to you, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Yeah, man. Give me a call. Appreciate it. Thanks, right, man. Thanks, Be well. That's John Marks of phillyfootballtalk.com. It was great job by him to, to hop on. Um, what do you think? Um, about him? Well, about the whole, <laughs> the, the whole thing. I mean, anything else now, that we... I mean, you know, I, had, I answered questions for his blog. And right. He had answered uh, questions for G-Men HQ. I made the point to him. He, he, he did ask me about Odell Beckham, whether he was worth the aggravation. And I said, yes, yes, yes. And you can see why. Right. Um, every, it just seems in, in today's NFL that uh, every team has a diva receiver. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You're right, you're right. I mean, it's, it's inevitable now. It's, it's inevitable. So from that standpoint, this is why, you know, he's so valuable. But the one thing about Beckham, I keep saying it on the show, is that he is maybe the only guy that, that can really take that, that little crease and turn that into the game-breaking touchdown. Mm-hmm. The other guys, I have a mass respect for Julio Jones, A.J. Green, um, even um, Antonio Brown. But give this guy a crease, man, and he is gone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and he's basically um, different in that he takes a short hitch and he turns that into a touchdown where the other guys – and and, and he must have – he has really football speed because I don't know coming out of college that we thought he was a 4-3 burner. One that I'm reminded of is Darius Haywood Bay where they said this guy had 4-3 speed. Of course, he didn't have great hands. Right. But – Beckham, when he gets past that defender, there's nobody catching him. You're absolutely right. We'll take your phone calls uh, for the remainder of the show while we squeeze a couple of other things in at 609-460-4673. The only other thing I want to comment about on that game, I said the two things that bugged me. The one was the inability for the Giants to put it away, and the other one was their lack of a running game. They had nothing. But in defense of that, McAdoo didn't walk away from it. This is what I wrote today there was still a commitment to the running game. Yes, the running game is not good right now, but at least, you know, they gave Paul Perkins and Rashad Jennings, you know, 11, I think it was 11 carries each. Um, it wasn't that productive, but but you saw flashes with Perkins. And Rashad Jennings is a professional. I just think, you know, when, when something's not going well, you can't abandon it completely. That will hurt them. Yeah. They can't be one-dimensional. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And one-dimensional teams do not go very far. So no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100% there. I think they'll, they'll have to make a commitment to the, to the run game, um, and, and they will do that you know, over time. The key is going to be because their December is pretty brutal. Yeah. Are they going to be able to turn this around in terms of the rushing attack? It's a good question. For, for, for those stretch games. That's a good question. That's a good question. And I don't I, – Nobody no knows the Nobody answer knows. right now. Yeah. But if they can, and I always said that this team would get better as the year moved along, mm-hmm. and, and they are, um, and I still believe that, if they can get that running game straightened out, now they're a real contender. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, with the time we have, let's, uh, let's do the quick uh, sportsmanship segment we call Sportsmanship Matters here, brought to you by the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount. Uh, OSIP hosts various free trivia nights in the area each week. This week we will be at Jake's Pub in Richboro, Pennsylvania, on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Get there early. I hear it's going to be packed this week because the, uh, the teachers' convention has everybody off on Thursday and Friday. So uh, <laughs> a lot of people coming. I 
swear to you. I heard because it was because of you. Oh, there could be that too. But I believe I already spoke about how we're creeps. So I don't know how people keep coming back. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror every day and I'm like, creep. What, what am I doing? I, I have no idea. Any questions? Any, any questions? <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this real quick. Uh, I'm sure everybody who has an idea about this knows who the Marlins man is. Uh, guy's name is Lawrence Levy. He's an attorney from Florida. Uh, he showed up in the 2014 World Series first behind the plate in Kansas City wearing the, the bright orange Marlins gear, standing out like a sore thumb. Uh, I actually tried to get him on the show, but he's, he's turning down interviews right now. Um, a, a story actually came out about how this is the first World Series that he's not attending, first big series he's not attending, uh, because he feared for his safety in Cleveland. Uh, he actually attended a game in Cleveland in June, and the amount of uh, of hate that he received in person and on social media actually caused him to have to get a police escort out of the stadium back in June for his own protection. Uh, it was vile, some of the stuff that was said. Uh, I believe there were some anti-Semitic remarks. Uh, it, it, it crossed the line. I mean, and the line's not very far out there, but it was, it was uh, horrendous. And uh, according to him, and I, I really don't have any reason to, to doubt him, that uh, the fans in Cleveland are are not giving, uh, not not doing the right thing. And so I'm calling him out right now. You know, I'm, I'm I don't want to I don't want to paint every Cleveland Indians fan with the same brush. But if the Marlins man is not going to the games because of this, uh, there's got to be a hint of truth to it. And in addition to that, after Game 7, a story broke that there was a fight between a Cubs and an Indians fan outside of uh, Progressive Field. And uh, there's still a lot of uh, ongoing parts on that. I don't think that, uh, I don't know if names have been released or anything like that, but caught on camera, released everywhere. Uh, ridiculous. Just absolutely unnecessary. Uh, deplorable. And uh, exactly what we're trying to stop with OSIP. And uh, I, I, I really... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than uh, you guys You guys know better. You guys should be doing better. Uh, you're a Tribe fan? Uh, call in. Write on blog. Do, do whatever you got to do to tell me why, why we shouldn't believe. Why you're wrong. Why you're wrong. Why am I wrong? Because, because right now, that, that in itself is, a, is a kind of a big story. So um, I don't know if you heard about any of this, Kurt. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, I mean a, it's, it's a continual thing, as, as I said to you earlier. The creep of the week is is not very difficult for me to come up. With. You're absolutely right, and that's unfortunate. I would love to have to dig for 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 something, but it each week it comes, and you know what? Don't emulate, you know, your heroes on the field. Yeah, especially if your heroes don't act appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm all about, hey, we all did it. Look up to ball players when we were kids. But in this generation, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, we want our kids and grandkids to look up to uh, some of these ball players because they they just don't act appropriately. You're absolutely and it's, right, it's, and it's terrible because I think in in the loss, the the folks who should have taken that loss to the Cubs hard, they were nothing but um, receptive to the media, and they were nothing but gracious in defeat. Yeah, which is the best thing that you can say. You know. When I look at, like, Terry Francona s- s- sitting there and answering every question, you know, and not flinching and being honest and giving credit to the Cubs, even though it was a one-run game, and that game above any other game was, was a toss-up. Yeah. You know, and I... I and I, the I, Cubs should have lost, let's be honest, because well, of what Joe Madden was doing. They should have lost yep. there, but they should also, um, I look at it that... 
uh, Rajay Davis in center field um, may have been, you know, slightly less effective than the Cubs outfield. Mm-hmm. And 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 there was one last thing I want to bring up, and that's Jason Hayward. We uh, took Jason Hayward to task for his contract. Yep. Apparently, he was a big focal point in the clubhouse. He was the, the one that called that meeting. Right, right, during the rain delay. So kudos to him. I mean, you know, what, what we try to do here is talk about people's performance on the field. Right. And that doesn't equate to his contract. But kudos to him if he provided that kind of leadership to the team to get them through to be world champions. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, we give them credit there. But, you know, I, just in response to anybody who's saying, well, you say this or that about people, we want to focus on their on-field. Uh, and if they do extracurriculars, we're going we're gonna to call them out on that. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about anybody personally. Like uh, Joe Madden seems like a great guy. I'd love to have a few beers with him. I question his on-field a managerial acumen in the World Series here. Right. But I think he's a quality individual as a person. Right. Unless we want to say something controversial to get ratings or have people call in. But you're absolutely yeah, that right. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any questions? Any questions? <laughs> and the comments are part of it. <laughs> we, got, we got one minute. You want to do something quick on the Jets? You got anything on that? Well, I, I just think at this point... Um, I mean, I, is, there, is there season over? Their season is over. Yeah, that's what I you thought. You have to wonder if the Todd Bowles era is over. It's very possible. Because I just don't see any organization coming out on that field. Yeah. Like it, it just seems like the uh, definition of disarray. Let's put a Jets game on, and, and that's the definition of disarray. Yeah, you look it up in the dictionary, there he yeah. is. You know? and, and I just wonder if, if Bowles comes out of this. The Fitzpatrick era is over. McCagnin, Mike McCagnin, the GM, was right. Signed him to a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. So they're free him. You know, isn't it time to look at the young quarterback? I think it's time to put Petty or Hackenberg in and, uh, and just go from to. there. You have no choice. Your season's over. You're not coming back. I mean, this game was everything. If you win this game, you got a shot. You still, you still can be on a roll. Yep. But here's the other thing. Now, what's going on with... Um, you know the the two Richardson and Wilkerson, Richardson and Wilkerson. I get on a. I would get rid of Sheldon Richardson in a heartbeat yep. if anybody took him. And Mo Wilkerson, they just signed to a big contract. We don't know what's going on there, but once again, like we always say, that where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a firefighter. <laughs> at least you know. At least I don't well, think you I play am. Play Smokey the Bear on TV. I though. do, and I am a good actor. So don't. If you want to call in and tell me I'm not a good actor, you'll have to wait till next week because, <laughs> unfortunately, I believe that that's strike three. So I'm afraid this at bat is over. My thanks to Kurt Maxson of CBS Sports and John Marks of PhillyFootballTalk.com. Am I saying that right? Yes, you okay. did. Okay. Oh, thank God. We'll be back with you next week live on Monday at noon Eastern. Until then, you can reach me at jack at panjradio.com or on Twitter at Jack Furlong. Be sure to check out www.jackfurlong.com and www.osipfoundation.org as well as www.panjradio.com. Also check out the live blog for the show at strikezone.sportsblog.com. Until next time, don't get caught looking in the strike zone.